Orange is the New Black, season four, is over and has been over for a couple of weeks at the time of this recording. But you may still be working through your binge watch or you may be ready to revisit it all again. Either way, I am Jessica Luce. I am ready to help you through this strange and wonderful series. And with me, as always, is a person that I would give a discount to if I was selling her my last tampon, Ms. Taylor Cotter. Thank you so much, Jess. Hi, everyone. How's it going? Uh, I am excited to jump into these next episodes where things really uh, kick off. Yeah, we're we're up to episode five at this point. um, And we kind of we're moving into the real meat of the season. I felt like a lot of the early episodes were very establishy. Like we're going to put the chess pieces here so that we can move them later. And it's like, okay, you can get away with that to a certain extent because you know everybody's going to watch this all in the course of one weekend. But on the other hand, it makes for some very slow going in the beginning and Mm -hmm. we're waiting for the real action to start. And I think right here in these three episodes, we're getting some things explained to us and we're also starting to see like the arc is starting to crest. Totally. It's like, all right, now now there's a plot here. Now things are happening that matter. And uh, this is what I love. I, I liked uh, all three of these episodes a lot. And I felt like uh, they did a lot of justice to characters that I had felt like maybe had uh, fallen out of the consciousness of the show. So I was excited about that. Right. And right from the outset in um, episode five, we start to get a feeling that this is not the same prison that we were in for the first three seasons. And every time that prison got darker, we were thinking like, where can they possibly go next? And it's like now we're even more corporate and we've got some even more terrible people working. Right. It. Yeah. When you think like, could it possibly get worse? Oh, it could get so, so, so much worse. And I like a lot of the turns that things started to take here because A, they remind us that like we're in a prison. This isn't summer camp. This isn't, uh, you know, some sort of game. Like stakes are high here and things are bad. And it, it may be a little more, uh, you know, uh, maybe it's more dramatic on this show than it is in real life. I hope so. But uh, they were they've been able to play up a little more of the um, the high stakes here um, in these couple episodes that really dive into what being in prison, the implications of that. So I, I was excited to see things taken to a 10. And even when we're not talking about like how dark and awful they can get, we get into like how totally messed up the scenario of they kind of get on their private prison soapbox quite a bit, especially in episode five when we take our trip to Correcticon. Yeah, this was a, a very funny and like a uh, very um, like just huge juxtaposition, right? That uh, we have our new favorite character, Linda from purchasing uh, and that she's just all about uh, the bottom line for these prisons and how they can, uh, it, this is very similar, like, if you've ever been to any sort of trade show for any other business, like, this is as silly and dumb as they all are. And, uh, but at the end of the day, you're like, oh, fuck, like, this only is happening because of, you know, uh, incarcerating people for mostly small crimes. <laughs> and that uh, having that kind of implication on people is very, uh, very disturbing, to say the least. Yeah, the way that she kind of talks about this place as though it is band camp. Mm-hmm. and how excited she is to like hang out with her cronies. And it really undercuts the idea that they're talking about human beings here and they're treating them very much like commodities. Right. And you can kind of see bigger picture, like, did you ever think that 
the crusading hero we would all be rooting for would be Mike Birbiglia. I know. What a turn. Uh, he's, uh, he comes back and shows his face here at Correcticon to uh, do a, um, uh, a Russell Hansian website promo. <laughs> uh, that's what I thought of. Um, for uh, DannyTalksTruth.com to talk about how uh, these webs, uh, these prisons have, uh, or like, uh, that the privatization has destroyed the prisons and uh, that there are real people here and real women and that he's on a crusade against his family. It's been a real fun to watch considering how much I uh, despised that character last time. I think the only thing that would have made that better is if it had been like dannytalkstruth.tumblr.com. <laughs> that would have been really good. <laughs> but apparently, like, all it took was for him to actually confront the prison itself and to, like, set foot in one and meet some of the inmates. And it turned him around 100%. And you really get the sense that none of these people have ever actually, they work in a corporate office. Like, Linda from Purchasing works in, like, a warehouse park in, like, Utica. Right. And she's never set foot in a prison. Right. Linda from Purchasing is a bit two-dimensional as kind of this personification of like everything that's wrong with the prison system. I'm not totally sure what attracts her to Caputo all that much, but yeah, she's very much like, okay, here, you know, bottom line, bottom line, bottom line, there's zero humanity in what she's doing and kind of the ability to look at this correcticon, essentially like gamification of the prison system kind of things and her keynotes and all the funny names for the keynotes. It's just like, it's really like hits you over the head with the fact that none of the characters that we've come to know and understand deeply are worth anything to the people that are in control of their lives. Yeah. Although I, I will say I could probably guess some things that might, that might compel you to be attracted to Caputo. Oh yeah, the uh, just uh, one thing in particular. <laughs> yeah, he he is also apparently a generous lover. That's true, and you know, great guy. But uh, I, I don't, don't know. I don't know how you get to that point with him. But yeah. you're right. I don't really see. I see the attraction for him. I don't see it so much for her. Right. Like he's into. I think he likes the idea on some level of. Like, she kind of represents some success here. Like, she's very together. And, yeah, she's very two-dimensional. But she also kind of symbolizes a, you know, that fancy big city Utica living life that Caputo himself was never able to have. Right. And, and she's kind of a hot lady. Oh, yeah. She's... Yeah. She can get it. And she does yeah. get it in this episode. Totally. But she also does see it very much like these are not human beings to her on any level. And that's very disturbing. And someone like Caputo, you know, he's been on the ground. He started as a guard. He's gotten to know a lot of these inmates rather personally. And it's it's jarring for him, I think. But on some level, some part of him still wants that. Right. Yeah. I think Caputo is always kind of this like man versus himself conflict that He's so such a bleeding heart and so empathetic, but like want is driving towards his own success on some level. And those things are completely in conflict uh, when he's trying to run the prison. And he's the he's one of the characters they can do this with and they do it very well. Mm -hmm. Where, you know, we talked in the last podcast about Healy and about how they right. don't accomplish this quite as well. Like he's a man with a conscience who's working in a system that's working against him. And for some reason, it works much better. Like I feel much more connected to Caputo's issues on a daily basis than I ever he, have been with Healy. Totally. Caputo is a great character. And I think I've talked about this before, probably last year. Um, 
that I think was one of the most compelling characters on the show. And that's tough to do. And uh, but I think like with a lot of the prisoners, we really, really re- like all their everything they do for the most part makes a lot of sense. Like you can really understand their internal motivations. You can understand how they ended up in the situations that they're in and why they're uh, why they're taking the actions that they take. And then you have Caputo who is same. Like you really do understand that, uh, but it's, it's complicated. Like he's still not, he's not a perfect guy and his motivations are muddy, but they're still understandable. And I think that's an incredibly hard uh, thing to accomplish with writing and acting. So I've been very impressed by him and I like him steering the ship. Um, and I hope he, continues to do so in the future of this show. Yeah, Saibu rules. Saibu rules with a Z. With a Z, yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is even more remarkable when you consider our very first glimpse of Caputo back in season one. I don't remember. <laughs> we see him when Piper is being admitted to the prison. She has a meeting with him very briefly, and he's all business. And he's, you know, bad suit, like kind of sweaty and mm-hmm. not too interested in what she's doing. They have the conversation take care of business, she leaves, and he immediately unzips his pants and grabs the lotion. Right. That's our first glimpse of arguably one of the most sympathetic characters on this series. Right. And to be fair, he hasn't lost that weird creepiness about him, right? Like when right. he's talking about how Tace, he wants Tacey to be his assistant because she's smart, but he's also attracted to her. Uh, there's, you know, his he seems very, you know, uh sexually motivated towards Linda from purchasing. Like he still has all these kind of scumbag qualities, but I like, and I don't, am I a Caputo apologist? Is this guy like, uh, is he worse than he seems or is he just like, can I forgive those things? Because he, at the end of the day is like, has a good heart. (laughs) Well, I think, I think both things can exist simultaneously. Yeah, I guess so. We got much worse guys. Like, pretty much everyone he works with is terrible. Yeah, he's the best guy on this show, without question, right? And, yeah, and, you know, we'll get into this in the next episode, Mm -hmm. but, you know, there's also characters that are even worse scumbags than him that we enjoy just as much. Totally. So, like, I'm thinking specifically of Lushek, but we'll get Mm -hmm. there, of course. But, yeah, and I think it's it's just, again, it's testament to the show's ability to take a character who's really kind of terrible, who you never want to hang out with in real life, and make them sympathetic and make you care about them and even root for them. So I was happy that he was kind of our entree into the world of um, private prison trade shows. Yes, uh, I like that a lot, and I... I have to assume this is real, even though I really hope it's not. Um, <laughs> I think some version of it probably is. Uh, yep. Don't want to think about it too hard. I hope they don't give out toy handcuffs in the swag bags mm-hmm. or serve ice cream and pretend it is prison slop. Yes, that that would be a little much. But I could totally believe that the kind of people that run private prisons are also the kind of people that recreationally like to zap each other in the nuts with lasers. Yes. Uh, yeah. Would prefer prefer that that to be a hilarious joke. That's so much of this show, though. Like, we probably shouldn't find it funny, but we do. Right. And they try. That's what they like. You know, at least it's not considered a comedy show anymore. 
But I think when it was, it was like really relying on those little things that were just like, ooh, this is not necessary. It's not tasteless, but it's dark, I guess. Um, so it, the fact that we can have these moments of comedy in a drama show makes it a lot more comfortable than thinking we're watching a comedy show about uh, terrible, terrible ongoings of a prison. Right. If you want that, you can watch Oz. Right. And I don't. Even, yeah, I don't either. <laughs> and even Oz really didn't go into the systematic failings of the prison system. Mm -hmm. It was mostly like, this is a, you know, this is a place full of terrible people that get around every rule they put in front of them. Right. And I think this show does a much more nuanced job of portraying what, you know, every single person in here you know, they all have funny things that happen to them and sad things that happen to them. And I thought this was actually maybe one of the funnier episodes of this season so far. Definitely. Um, this was played a lot for a comic relief, even though it was very uh, sad. Right. And we get to balance out this kind of, you know, think about it too hard and you're going to get a headache situation of the privatized prison system. We also get a flashback from Maritza. I liked this. I don't know if it had any implications but i i liked it it was not what i expected yeah it really it was kind of shoehorned into the episode it did mm -hmm. feel like it had very little to do with the arc and the only thing you know they did that sort of lost thing where they hung it on some tiny interaction she has towards the end of the episode to show like this is why she responds this way but it was kind of a it was a really one of the funnier one of the sillier flashbacks and it got almost three's company in in some mm -hmm. parts there's a real 80s sitcom throwback where she's trying to have a conversation with two different people who believe two different things and trying to sell everything she says and yeah entire sitcoms have been built on that exact premise yeah really funny uh so we get a little just like a a glimpse of her as a uh, cocktail waitress that uh has uh, scams people into paying double for expensive bottles of alcohol. And some scammer notices her and starts bringing her into steal cars. And it's very, very adorable. Um, it's like the cutest like car stealing operation you could ever see. And it, it, when they're explaining this, I'm like, oh, this makes so much sense. I was like, of course. And then I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Whenever I've test driven a car, someone who works there gets in the car with you. Like, it's just a very clear, like, uh, flaw in this plan that they expected uh, her to be able to pretend to be a someone uh, who works at the car dealership, jump in the car, regardless of whether anyone who actually works there gets in with her. And uh, then drive away, I guess. Um, and very, like, adorably, she has to pretend that she's this guy's wife and she works at the car dealership. And, I mean, in the long run, she pulls it off anyway. Well, we don't, we don't know if... True. She definitely gets arrested at some point. At some point, she stops being able to pull it off. But yeah, it sure seems like these guys have been casing this Maserati joint for a while. You would think one of them would like go in and take a test drive just so that they just so they know what's going on, like mm -hmm. how the whole thing works, because either they changed the policy that day right? or these guys are really inept and not very observant. Yeah, I would go with probably that one. <laughs> yeah, but I I liked the club scene. Like that was it was it's really kind of amazing how how little she has to work to sell this con to people. Mm hmm. And I have a question. Maritza does have a daughter, right? Yeah, she does work at the club, I believe. Right. Um, because you see her not scamming some people. You see the like dropping off a bottle at a table and just like 
Yeah, here is the bottle you ordered. Right, right. And then, but when she's telling these guys, she's like, oh, I have a baby. She really does have a baby. They mentioned that very early in the series, I think, and then never again. Right. So I wonder, like, I'm, I'm surprised we didn't get any more of that, that she has a baby somewhere that uh, she doesn't really worry about all that much. I had completely forgotten about that, to be honest. It's one of those things, like, they've developed everybody so much from season one that I feel like we can't even trust everything they said in season one. It's like watching watching the Golden Girls, where they all have different numbers of kids throughout the series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and I mean, maybe I am misremembering, but I'm pretty sure, I want to say it was when Maria was pregnant or Daya, she said something like, oh yeah, like, having a baby is so good, they're so cute, blah, 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 like... Something like that. But I don't know um, beyond that uh, if they ever brought it up again. Yeah, it, it could be one of those things they're kind of banking on us forgetting. Yeah. Because it doesn't seem to fit in with what we know about her. But on the other hand, we don't know a lot about her. Like, she didn't even give her real name to anybody in these flashbacks. Right. It's it's very strange. She, she is still kind of a cipher even after we kind of know what she's about. Right. And I think for some of these Meyer characters, kind of shoehorning their backstory, it's not, it's good because we do want to know more about them, but it's not necessarily as, it, the implications aren't as grand as some of the other backstories. And I'm sure we'll talk more about this as we get through some of the others here. Right. And it would be really distracting if we had somebody trying to put that into every backstory, like showing her at the club and having her explain, I am I am a single mother supporting my baby through these cons that I run. Right. Yeah, we don't need all that exposition. <laughs> we don't need right. it. We can extrapolate what we need and forget yep. the rest. Uh, right. And uh, so it's kind of the implications of her flashback in this episode. Uh, we can talk a little bit about the uh, the panty business. Right. It seems like they've got the product and they need a buyer. Really, like, this is the interaction that she hangs everything on. And she's about as persuasive during this sequence with any of the guards as she was as she was with the guys in the club. Totally. Yeah, which is good enough. <laughs> uh, it works. And uh, so I want it's Maria's cousin, right? So she, right. Uh, Maria, who's running everything with this the new panty business. Uh, they kind of yada yada a lot of over what we went through with Piper last season of like, okay, like you have to go build a website and do all this stuff. Uh, so assuming all those logistics are pretty similar, their main goal is that they need a person to get the panties out of the prison. So Maritza, who drives the guards home to their tiny houses, uh, her plan is to store the bag of panties under the wheel thing and then drive it out and meet Maria's cousin in the woods. Uh, and he uh, doesn't necessarily get the uh, fragility of the situation here. No, well, she did say he was an idiot, to be fair. True. She she made it work. Uh, yeah, so I this guy... Uh, I guess to be fair, <laughs> he's not, he didn't really understand what was going on. You kind of watch Maritza at work here and you think, I can't believe they fell for that. Totally. And, but I mean, uh, if we've learned anything about COs, it's that they uh, don't think too hard about too much of anything. So um, Maritza is able to kind of charm the female CO and she's able to get her to leave her alone for a few minutes and even when they run into Maria's cousin, she's able to just say, oh, this is the gardener. Have you guys met the gardener? She's an actress, essentially. And she she is uh, she's not perfect, but she can, at the end of the day, pull it off. I think we can't discount here that she's very attractive. 
Totally. She's attractive and witty, and I think this, I think they respond to that, like all men do. Yeah. I think my favorite Maritza Moments episode was uh, her dry delivery on um, women really love it when you compare them to breakfast food. Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah, and you can tell this is a girl that's put up with a lot, a lot of shit from men for a long time, so... Uh, she's able to figure out how to make that work from her for her. And she's good at it in a way that we see like Piper trying the same thing and really falling flat. Maybe not through any fault of her own, but, you know, Piper makes the college try and really doesn't get very far with Piscatella. Yes. Uh, yeah, let's talk about Piper. Yeah, we, we should talk about Piper because yeah. I feel like this is maybe Piper's turning it around for me. Um, the site that I do other TV recaps for uh, mainly Survivor, Amazing Grace. I just wrapped up some, some Big Brother and I did two episodes of Orange is the New Black for Previously.TV and they have a trope. One of their columns they do is called Turned It Around. Mm-hmm. And they take a character that everybody has kind of gone south on and they talk about how this new, a new plot arc or something they say or do kind of makes everybody like them again. I feel like this might be Piper's Turned It Around moment where she... Like, the panty business wasn't really doing much for me, but when she inadvertently starts a Nazi gang. (laughs) So turned it around in a way that made her interesting again, but is very terrible and bad. (laughs) Right. Okay. I was like, oh, she fell off the deep end for me. (laughs) So, But you see Piper, you see the look of horror come across her face when she realizes what she has done. Yes. And it's fantastic like this is what this show excels at is something that really shouldn't be funny is extremely funny right uh so piper is mad at maria she's furious because how uh how she started a competing business to hers and in true piper fashion she decides that that she's going to tattle on her (laughs) uh and she goes to our new friend Piscatella and straight up is like, uh, you need to watch the Latina girls as they like, because I think they're sneaking out panties. So really it makes uh, what Piper does best relates to other white people, uh, tries to do a little fear mongering and uh, ultimately strikes a nerve with Piscatella because he is probably a racist or that might be an overstatement, but he's definitely aware of the racial uh, dynamics in prisons. I, I think you would have to be blind not to be aware of the racial dynamics. In True. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, so he's somewhere on that spectrum uh, and is very aware that gang activity can be happening in prisons. I think he's figuring anybody that's offering to make his job easier, he's going to let him run with it. Right. And even though uh, he is in no way affected by Piper's adorable ways, uh, he does trust her that she's giving him good information here. Uh, And we find out that's because for seemingly, like, I guess no reason at all, Piscatella is a gay character on the show. Uh, But, but you know, I like this, though. I liked it. I thought it was kind of nice, but I, uh, I, I was, I was thrown by it, which I guess was also kind of the point. Yeah, it's. I think the point is like he doesn't have to be the mincing stereotype to be. You know, everybody knows gay people. Then maybe they just don't know it because it doesn't come up. Totally, totally, and uh, definitely behind that. And I guess it's good to have a character that's like you know a little anti Caputo. That you know he's not here because he like is weirdly attracted to these women, like. He's there because he's a tough, scary guard. <laughs> I'm I'm curious to explore kind of how he relates to women. And I guess there really aren't gay male characters on this show, so 
Yeah, there there really aren't. Well, that we know of. Again, yeah, true. It's, it's come up in this conversation. It could come up elsewhere um, unless, you know, unless they come right out and say it. How do we know? That's true. That's true. So we get to know a lot of the guards this episode. We kind of get to know like McCullough. She, she seems all right. Yeah, she does seem all right. She seems like she's just trying to find her way, relate to the women. She's a little bit like Birdie or some of the female Lauren Lapkus, some of the female guards of the past. Yeah, I'm sure that's going to get smacked down proper. Yep. But. You know, she seems like a nice person who's just doing a job because it's available. And then we have we have Dixon, who's enjoys showing people his nuts. Mm-hmm. And nobody except him enjoys that. Right. We've kind of got a lot of other characters that kind of all blend together at this point. Some of them we will be seeing more of later. But it's this whole new batch of guards that all have like, you know, if this was a different show, they would have their web only series of them, like in their little guard summer camp. Yes. And, you know, they throw parties, they do really gross shots and they play a lot of video games. They make $8 an hour and those are the guards. I have very little sympathy for the guards, but what, what a terrible position to be in. You know, I think that probably really gets to you. And I think, that it can turn a good person really crazy and it can like these people, but it's, you know, so easy for really violent, dangerous people or to fall into that line of work. And on this show, at least that seems to be a pattern. Well, they're clearly not doing background checks. Right. And there's, yeah, just a, a very tough position to be in. So I kind of, I am growing a little sympathetic to the plight of being a CEO, even though at their heart, a lot of these people are very terrible. Well, and it's a thing. I, I don't, I hesitate to generalize too much because I have known some terrific people that have worked in various law enforcement fields that maintain their heart and their soul. Mm-hmm. But when you are surrounded by people who do bad things all the time, right? it really hardens you. It, it changes you. And you could go into this system really thinking you're going to make a difference or even just thinking this is going to be a job and I go home from it at the end of the day. And that ends up really mostly not being the case. Yeah, that's hard. Because I, I've known plenty of people that go into that line of work and it really just kind of ruins who they are as a person. And even if you go in not feeling like, you know, not being a racist or a sexist or whatever, it has a potential to make you into one. Yeah, that's scary. And I have a lot of sympathy for that. That must be incredibly challenging. There's a great article, I think, in Mother Jones last month about um, what it's like to work as a CEO in a for-profit prison. Ooh, I will read that. It's a very long read, but very worthwhile. Not as funny as this. Oh, good. Because <laughs> real prison life, not not terribly much like Orange is the New Black, but I think equally as character-driven. That makes sense. I like to hear that that way. So we could talk a little bit more about Piper's mission. Mm-hmm. Complete with cabaret music at the end. Yes. Very, very, uh, very sweet, I guess. Um. <laughs> and, and, you know, we're going to make friends with some bald people with Confederate tattoos. Yeah. Where did those girls come from? I don't remember seeing them around. Unsurprising, I guess, that they were there. Piper uh, gets her meeting together for her community cares was misguided to begin with and then um ultimately i i terrible <laughs> in result uh and, you know she kind of collects her friends and you see lorna's there and a couple of the other girls that kind of follow piper around now um no matter what and then uh yeah just when it seems to be more and more a meeting of white people uh 
that becomes uh, problematic. It's very unfortunate that the only people that showed up to the community task force meeting all turned out to be white. And then, of course, we get the the alt-right slogan of, well, why do they keep saying Black Lives Matter, Our Lives Matter? And spoiler alert, we're going to see a lot of this mm-hmm. in future episodes. Um, but it was a fantastic moment of, you know, if you don't like Piper, you think, yeah, of course, Piper really stepped in at this time. It's very disconcerting to me that I'm just like, oh, mm-hmm. Piper, what'd she do? That little scamp. She started a Nazi gang. Um, that's going to be the next three episodes are really about Piper having to bear the consequences of what yes. she has done and really kind of getting in over her head. I want to know where she got all the paper to make all of these <laughs> flyers, because this is apparently this is a prison where we are running out of absolutely everything essential. So suddenly Piper's got a ream of printer paper for no apparent reason. I didn't think about that. That Who knows? I mean, she's got Piscatella in her corner, so maybe they can at least print stuff. He can requisition some office yep. supplies, make, put a call into Linda yep. from purchasing for some extra stuff. Linda probably understands the necessity of office supplies, if anything. Right. And apparently not the necessity of other things. Yeah. So, uh no more tampons at the commissary uh, throws everyone into a panic and starts it's just kind of the first of many seeds that were planted that's saying like oh yeah this is really bad like this is not like things aren't comfortable this is like things are unlivable it, it sets up black city to have some kind of dark humor moments um of her own where she's kind of got the last box of tampons in the prison and we get some very uncomfortable moments of religious tension between her and her Islamic roommate, which again, this is something that shouldn't be funny, but it is. Yeah. Um, we find, uh, we've been able to mine that relationship. I think the Islamic roommate is named Allison. Yes. Allison. Yeah. Um, and find, uh, find some tension between them without ever kind of saying anything too. at this point, nothing too, uh, overt about, but, uh, they, uh, are back and forth trying to figure out how to uh, uh, negotiate for these tampons. They go there with each other, which I think it's only funny because they do eventually resolve it in a future episode. But yes, at this point, they get some good lines off on each other. I mean, to Cindy's credit, she's studying up. She knows her stuff. And also to Allison's credit. Yeah. And uh, kind of uh, in this in this out of this fight we find out that allison has been uh she has a cell phone which we haven't seen a cell phone around in a while so uh kind of exciting and some sort of uh check off cell phone uh bit when we find this out this will definitely come back into play um especially tasty getting access to the internet was another amazing part of this episode totally tasty clearly she doesn't know how to clear browser history i'm just gonna go ahead and hazard a guess there that's probably true. I mean, she knows what she's doing, but uh, was this the, and I'm sorry if it wasn't, was this the episode that she's like very much like she knows more about being on the computer than like all the, than Caputo and like the people that work there. Like she, uh, yeah, she's like probably like 25. Like she, she knows her way around the internet. Well, so seeing her on the internet is a delight. Does, does she really though? Because she seems to think that Googling red is going to give her information on, you know, on her co-inmate, Red. <laughs> that fair, fair, fair enough. I I did enjoy the variety of things that come up when you Google Pusey Washington. <laughs> you get porn, porn, cat dressed like George Washington. <laughs> Perfect. And nothing about the girl herself, apparently. Yes. You also find out 
how to sell a photo to a tabloid. Yeah, that's that is interesting and uh, very much uh, of relevance to what they're doing in this prison. And, you know, these girls know that they want to make Judy King being there work for them. So they're trying to figure out exactly how to do that. You know, they're they're opportunists. They want to make the most of every moment, you know, carpe diem. I guess. Yes. And I guess we also have to talk about the shower pooper. This seems like a bit of a throwaway, uh, but uh, Suzanne and Morello find someone's poops in the shower and they uh, get to be detectives, a cute little detective pair of uh, who they think is uh, doing this prank or uh, joke or, you know, message of complete and other hatred. So... It's hard to say. Um, I mean, Taylor, you've lived in a dorm. I've lived in a dorm. I was an RA. So I don't think we had this exact issue. But there were always issues. <laughs> so I'm thrilled to say that we never had a shower pooper. But uh, believe me, I fielded complaints from girls all the time about uh, this person is, you know, leaves hair in the shower, this and this, and like it being uh, not the most hygienic place in the whole world. Um, but I count myself lucky, lucky to have never been one of these detectives. Anytime you have more than four women using a bathroom, I tell you, it's it's grosser than anything a man could do to it. That is definitely true. I don't know. Maybe I'm just like perpetually 12, but I enjoyed Suzanne's like lengthy TV detective diatribe about yes. collecting evidence and um, analyzing what's there. And it was a good use of her, I think. Yes. It's a much more lighthearted use of her than we've had in recent episodes. So I was glad to, I was glad to see more of her and have her kind of at her best. Like this episode and the next one where she starts listing off like all the things that are better than being famous. Mm -hmm. These are, these are some great Suzanne moments and really true to the character as well as like pretty hilarious. Yes. Yes. She's just uh, ultimately like a good hearted person and, uh, and wants to make her life interesting. She's like, She's, I think she, I don't know, it seems like she sees herself as like a character in a play in a lot of ways. Uh, so whenever those opportunities come up to monologize or whatever, it's very entertaining. I mean, nothing's ever going to be as good at this as the time that they let Suzanne talk to the disadvantaged youth and she just starts quoting Shakespeare. Right. Yeah. She has so many layers. I love her so much. I do too. Uh, she's really, she's such her own person. It's point that it's probably Suzanne's ex-girlfriend that's pooping in the showers. So uh, no, not enough evidence at this point to make any any calls. Right. And you really, I, I think if we've learned anything this episode, you really need to collect sufficient evidence. 100%. I, I, I feel confident with Suzanne on the case. We're going to get to the bottom of this. Yes. So do we have anything else we need to talk about through this episode? Or have we touched on all the high points and we can move on to episode six? I think we have knocked them all out. Great, great. That makes me happy. Cool. It was, um, episode six was interesting because this is the first one we've had in a while where there were no flashbacks. No flashbacks. There were no flashbacks in the premiere and then nothing in episode six. And I was like, okay, are we done? Like, it seemed, I was surprised. Um, just because if we're throwing in these kind of, like, simple sort of Maritza type flashback, what, like, was this cut for time or what, you know? So I didn't under, and I still don't necessarily understand the artistic decision to not have a flashback in this episode, but there was still a decent amount going on. So it's not like there's nothing to 
talk about. Right. I think, again, like I try not to relate this back to Lost too much because every time I bring up Lost, people tell me I get very negative about the show. And it was like for several seasons, it was a very good show. And I looked forward to the flashbacks uh, because I liked seeing like what side of people they revealed. But Lost did, after a while, start deviating from that formula as well. They stopped saying, okay, this is an episode about this character, and this is what this character was doing before they got to the island. And I think it's okay to do this from time to time if you have something that moves the episode along. And also if you don't have a compelling character backstory, because who would the compelling character be this episode? It'd probably be Lushek, and we know already he... There's no there there. Like, we're not going to go back into his past and find something amazing about him that's going to explain who he is. Like, we know who he is. We've got that down. I guess I was thinking Nikki, but we've already learned so much about her. And like, we, yeah, we, there's nothing that could have happened that like would have explained her behavior further. But I kind of felt like, okay, this is her episode, so we'll probably get her flashback, but just never came. Yeah. And I think we learned enough about her anyway. Right, true. And I was so happy to see her back. Like, it's really, Natasha Leone is so fantastic. Yeah, she's excellent. It's really good to have her back on the show because last season, I remember we were worried we might not. Totally. I think, and I talk, I mean, I love so many of these actresses and I I think I'm going to throw down for Natasha Leone VIP. Like, I think, like, get her nominated for awards, that whole deal. I think, like, last season I was uh, really big on uh, Adrian Moore as Black Cindy. Uh, and this this year I'm big on Natasha Lyonne. I think that she, what she's doing is masterful and creative and excellent. And I am I am a big fan and I think she needs... She needs more recognition in the zeitgeist. Yeah, although she does go down some kind of predictable paths this episode. Totally, totally. But acting-wise, acting, I'm like, ugh, this girl breaks my heart. Yeah, she does. She definitely elevates the material, I think. Yes. Like, writing-wise, I think we probably could have guessed this is how things were going for her. But Right. But... You still care. You still want her to succeed. And you know that it's not going to be as cut and dried as, oh, she got her three-year chip and she's clean forever now and life's going to be great. She's going to get out. Um, You know, it's not that simple. It's never really that simple. Yeah. And so we can kind of talk about her arc. Um, She's been in Max uh, and... Uh, Lushek feels guilty about it, obviously. Um, And uh, he is able to parlay his relationship with Judy King a little bit into getting her sentence, uh, getting her back into minimum security instead of maximum security. And all he's got to do is bang Judy King. All you got to do is bang Judy King. And uh, we know Judy King. She loves, she loves doing it with younger guys. (laughs) And uh, she is, yeah, she's she's an anomaly that Judy King. I can't imagine this is really what Martha Stewart was like in prison, but I dear God, I hope so. It's so interesting. <laughs> I hear that Martha Stewart was a lot more fun than you would think. Really? But I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that she was not juggling a husband and a boyfriend and like getting guards to slip her the D in exchange for favors. Totally, totally. So uh but hey it it worked and we got Nikki back. So, and, uh, we see Nikki in AA and a type meeting. She gets a sober chip, but, uh, as we all know that, uh, not sober. And we see her, uh, sexually using guards for her own needs, uh, and getting more, uh, 
heroin in and out of the prison. Yeah, and it's amazing to me that like she's held out this long and finally she's pushed over the edge. And at the moment she gets pushed over the edge, she gets yanked back into Litchfield. Mm-hmm. Can I say, there's one thing about this show that I think could use a little more exposition is whenever they're talking about gang drugs in and out of the prison, oftentimes they're just like, yeah, you can get anything you want in here. And they don't really go further into explaining how these things are surfacing and how they're not. Uh, so, I mean, we had like in uh, whatever it was season one, season two, when Red was like, uh, when they were moving drugs in the food and all the stuff. It was like a very elaborate operation with these guards. It's kind of just like, they just kind of gloss over and they're like, yep. Yeah. Anything you need, like you can get. And I'm like, how, how? Well, I think that may be a little more true to life. Yeah. For one thing, we don't want anybody to get like you, you try to find line with a lot of this stuff, like same thing with breaking bad. Mm -hmm. Like they want to give you just enough detail without giving you a recipe for meth. That's fair. (laughs) Like, this is not, this is not an instructive series. You don't want to go to prison saying, well, Orange is the New Black taught me that this is how I get my drugs. But I think what I, from what I understand, like having done a little extra reading, that's kind of how you get stuff in. Like the guards bring it in. Yeah, that's fair. And I, yeah, and I don't necessarily need the whole, like we only need another huge subplot about drug mewling in and out of prison. Uh, so fair enough. But yeah, I was just like, like, I can't, I don't understand (laughs) where all this is coming from. But that's just, I'm also pretty naive when it comes to that stuff in general. So uh, I'll take their word for it. That's pretty easy. Uh, The other thing in this episode, and uh, this is the biggest thing that I've gotten tweets about this year is um, I'm so, I'm a little lost on the timeline of where, what, how long people have been where, um, how long it's been since anyone's been in prison. And I, I don't really understand. Like, it seems like Nikki, the way they're talking to her, it's like Nikki has been gone for a year. Yeah. Only we know it can't have been a year. Right. Um, and they've intentionally, I've noticed this as well, they've intentionally kind of fudged how things are happening. Whereas in the first season, you did that kind of very linear TV season structure where, you know, you had your Halloween episode and you had your Christmas episode and your Valentine's Day episode. And now we're not celebrating any major holidays and it's always kind of generically April or May outside. Right. And they're stretching it out as much as possible, I guess, because they know if like every season takes a year then you're going to have to rotate your cast in and out of a minimum security prison pretty fast. Totally. And that it's, I get it. It's like, yeah, the more vague they are, the less commitment they have to have to any sort of particular uh, timeline for any character. But yeah, it's, it seemed, I was very thrown by how they were treating her, especially when they, when, and this might be in the next episode, but when she does return to Litchfield, they're like showing her where stuff is. And I'm like, but she knows where stuff is. She was just here. <laughs> like, yeah, and it's it's even harder when you don't watch it week to week. Exactly. I think when you're watching it all in a, in a weekend or over the course of a week or so, you really don't, you know, time doesn't pass for you. And so you think, like, why should it pass for them? Exactly. It's something they're slipping on a lot. And I was noticing this, like, my other binge watch right now, um, I've been working my way through Six Feet Under, which I didn't watch when it was on. And it's a wonderful show, but they take such great pains to mark the time in weird ways. Yeah. Like, I'm into season four, and there's a character, without giving too much away, there's a character who got married in the previous season, and then they show this character 
saying, well, we've been married for three months now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, okay, I, I didn't need that. Right. That's okay. You know, I trust you. But there's there's got to be a middle point somewhere where you are marking the passage of time without necessarily having to be so expository about it. Exactly. And yeah, we don't need everything. But it also, it is kind of important to the story to know how long at least Piper has left in prison. And then maybe we can figure out kind of the rest as they fall into place. But at this point, I think everyone is confused about how long anyone has been there and is supposed to be there. Well, especially when, um, you know, spoiler alert, they make it out to be such an anomaly to have extra time tacked on your sentence. Yep. They really need to start marking that. They need to start pointing it out and... and I guess in some cases they don't know, like we've seen with Elena, she found out, oh, you're getting out early and you got two weeks left. Yeah. So maybe, maybe they want you to kind of lose track of time. Maybe much the way that people do in prison. That's probably true. Yeah. I think that is definitely their goal. That's like, we shouldn't be worrying about that, but I kind of think we're going to anyway. Yeah. We we are definitely, we're going to be, we're going to be stuck on this. Yes. So the main subplot here, we have the Luszczak Nikki dynamic. We have Luszczak actually growing a conscience in his own weird way, making this very unorthodox friendship with Judy King and kind of quid pro quoing his way into getting Nikki released, which kind of, he's such an interesting character in that he's nobody you'd ever want to spend time with in real life, which I think we've talked about quite a bit. Like mm-hmm. he is, he really has no morals. He has no ambition. He has no interests. And he, in this this episode, he, you know, lets an inmate basically, like, she's bleeding out in front of him. And he's like, do I have to get up? Can I finish my game? Yep. And when Donuts is your moral compass here. Very scary. The the title of the episode is Piece of Shit. Mm-hmm. And he really kind of is one. Yep. It's so hard. Like, and I do, like... I feel like I know people like him, which sounds so terrible. Like they probably are not as sociopathic in that way, but people who don't necessarily understand that, like you can't just live your life without thinking of how your actions affect other people. And, uh, that they, uh, and you know, when you're in a particularly high stakes environment where people are in jail and getting hurt, you want to, you kind of want people around that, think of others uh and he doesn't uh but he still has that weird like fun comedian sensibility to him that is super likable and that's why you know someone as smart as nikki like is she's like this is my guy like this is my friend and but i really and i think this is why i loved natasha leone so much i really loved her like telling him to go fuck himself (laughs) when they were sitting in the prison and uh when she was on the phone with him and and just like her kind of being like yeah what you did was unacceptable and you can't treat people that way so i i like that kind of badass uh badass statement about how poorly he treated people i i liked i liked the no-nonsense way that judy addresses him too kind of like well yeah you probably are kind of a piece of shit mm-hmm. yep but you know you, you have redeeming qualities and you also have some not so redeeming qualities that i can exploit yep totally and it's like you know a lot of people are uh or a lot of guys like that, I think, are always like, oh, like, unable to cope with emotions like guilt or sort of that negative, uh, anything negative or feeling bad. But it's kind of like, yeah, you have to feel bad and you have to make things right. And I ultimately am glad he did. Yeah, it shows a little bit of growth, which yes, also something you don't anticipate when you work for $8 an hour. Right. 
Actually, he's been there a while. He probably makes a little bit more. A little more. And, you know, sometimes there's cake in the break room. Yeah, so uh, that worked. He's growing, and yeah, ultimately he does have to have sex with Judy King, but I think, I guess it was worth it. Yeah, I mean, anything to get Nikki back, and I had a moment of panic this episode. There, When they go to the yard in Max, I'm like, oh God, it's Ruby Rose. Mm-hmm. He's got no... Don't bring her back. Don't nope. bring her back. Just a glimpse, just a glimpse that she is also there. Yeah, and she's not going anywhere. Don't worry about it. Yep. That, good to know. Yeah, she was she was exhausting. So uh, she is staying in Max, which is good to know. We're only getting Nikki back. I think I read on the AV Club or something, there's a bunch of other prisoners that were a handful of others that were moved to Max that we had, uh, that would have been cool to check in on, but... We got a quick glimpse of Stazlitz, who's the um, the member of the Golden Girls gang that stabbed somebody who turned out not to be V. Right, right. Uh, I totally forgot about that. I remember her, but I forgot why she ended up there. Uh, and I think another missing one is um, Miss Claudette. Remember her? Oh, yes. Yeah, so no check-in with her, but uh, hopefully she's okay. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. I liked Miss Claudette. That actress, like, got in a car accident or something, so I wonder oh. if they, like... Um, like a bad car accident, so I don't know if she is um, still working or not. How how recently? I want to say like a while, like over a year ago. Because she actually, um, like, my day job is at a performing arts school, and she did come back in September, and she did a scene with some of the drama students. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, and I I always register it because that actress um, is actually an alumna of my college. Oh, so she she's Mount Holyoke grad, and so whenever I see her, I. I'm very excited and they've done features on her being part of Orange is the New Black. So that's great. Yeah. So she's, she's around. Okay. That's good. But yeah, it would have been nice to see, to catch a glimpse of her and Max. Like she's yeah. probably got her own. I, I want to say like in my head, like she and Tazlitz have their own golden girls gang in Max. I believe that for sure. I, I, I love that. And yeah, you know, they you know, they all know each other in there because most of the older women that are in Litchfield's, been there for a while. Yeah, they've been there for a while. And the minimum security part, a lot of them got out on good behavior and got moved into minimum. Right. It's uh, all one all big, very dark family. Yes. Well, so that's pretty much Nikki. She does end up getting out, uh, but not without uh, back on drugs. But that, that's kind of Nikki, so... Well, and that's that's kind of I, they they mentioned this, this is kind of a rough spot for Nikki to be in because you know get right back on the drugs right before you go back to the place where it's harder to get the drugs. Yes, and where if you are found with drugs, then you go back to where you are. <laughs> so uh, a bit of a catch twenty two there for her. I mean, is there anything else in this episode that we really need to that we really need to touch on, or can we use this as a very smooth segue into Nikki's reintegration into the minimum security? Honestly, let's, um... We had a lot of little tiny moments. We had the beginnings of the paparazzi thing, but where do you want to go? Uh, yeah, very little. Like, I'm okay with moving on. I want to, um... We do get, like, a glimpse of Sophia's, uh cell in Max that really, in my mind, indicated that she might have killed herself, which I was really nervous about, um, because they show her cell and it's covered in blood, which is terrifying. So, but that was just a cliffhanger that partly is listened to the next episode. And then, uh, I guess in they, they do ultimately figure out that Maria is in charge of the second underwear ring. But a lot of, yeah, this was a lot of hallways in this episode to things that happened, uh, 
connecting the first half of the season to the second half of the season, which I would say starts in episode seven. Yeah, it, it really felt like episode six was setting it up and episode seven knocked it all down. Totally. I will call out that uh, Judy King was reading Bird by Bird by Anne. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which I, I, that, I love that book so much. So I was really excited to see that. Well, the literary shout outs. Yes. Series are kind of better than the literary shout outs in pretty much any other series I can think of. Yeah. Including somewhere you would think that they talk about books more. Totally. Um, yes, let's, all right, let's jump into seven because this was great and there's a lot going on. Yeah. Seven, pretty dark, but we did finally, we get our lolly flashback, which I knew was coming. Yes. Don't think I was prepared for it even so. This actress was amazing. I really thought it was Lori Petty. I was like, how did they do this makeup to make her look so young? But uh, like I looked it up and it was uh, like this other actress. And I was like, she is killing it. Like I've never seen one, something like nail, like that's bizarre cadence so well. It was excellent. I was obsessed. I watched it twice. Like that first, like part of the <laughs> lolly fact, because it was so, it was, I thought it was so great. Yeah, she was, she was really amazing. And I, yeah, I thought the same thing. I thought it was one of those things like, um, in, I can't remember which recent Marvel comics universe movie they had. They CGI'd Robert Downey Jr. down to his teenage self. Oh my gosh. Scene. And it was very distracting because, you know, you knew that this was like, I, it might've been the most recent, uh, Captain America Civil War thing. Mm-hmm. But they, they show, they show like very young Robert Downey Jr. being CGI'd into <laughs> Tony Stark's character. And it was very uncanny valley. Yeah. And for a second, I thought, like, where did they get the budget to do that kind of CGI? But no, they just got an actress who's really, really amazing. Yeah. And this, so this is a little weird, but I thought worth mentioning. So I looked up who this actress was, and now like, Christina Brucato. She is in Welcome to the Dollhouse. What? The movie that they went to go see in the Healy flashback. What? I thought that was because so, I was like, who is this girl? I've never seen her before. And then I look her up on IMDb and right now, now her IMDb is all about Orange is New Black. But when they, like a week ago, when I looked this up, uh, Welcome to the Dollhouse was her top credit. Who was she in Welcome to the Dollhouse? I think she was a mean girl. Like okay. uh, Cookie was her character name. Okay. She's uh, just like a, one of the like cheerleader mean girls in Welcome to the Dollhouse. And even though that seems very throwaway and maybe it is, but Welcome to the Dollhouse, a movie that I haven't thought about in years and years to have two like mentions in this season of the series seems like or not like mentions, but allusions to uh, was so bizarre. I think there's another connection there. I want to say there's some kind of there's some kind of connection there besides that, um, because you would think there would have to be because what a random movie to be referencing if you're not actually going to bring Heather Matarazzo on. And why wouldn't you really? Because she'd be perfect in this series. Oh, yeah, she would be excellent. Uh, Yeah, I don't know if, you know, maybe there's a big fan of Welcome to the Dollhouse on the writer's staff. But what a what a surprise, surprise turn. Yeah, that, that's really, that you just blew my mind. Yeah. I, I had not made that connection. Yeah, I don't know if it mean, means anything, but uh, I'm going to keep my eye out to see if there's anything else that comes up that uh, connects these two things. So I had been promised that this flashback was heartbreaking, mm-hmm. and it absolutely was. Um, it was really 
a powerful statement on kind of how we treat mentally ill people. Yep. And also like how hard that job is to keep them out of danger from themselves and others. Right. And you can totally see how someone like Lolly would wind up slipping through the cracks, winding up on the streets and then winding up in prison. Yeah. It's really, it's, it's really hard. And I think like it's, yeah, it's a commentary on all those things that basically like this, this sucks and on some level is inevitable. So, uh, how, uh, how can something like this happen to someone? And it seems like it, this has to be an incredibly, incredibly common path for people. And I know people that, you know, they have people in their lives like this. And it's, you know, you know, super smart young girl, like uh, very, you know, and then uh, very driven, ambitious. She wants to be a reporter um, and, you know, starts to become, you know, something just snaps and like she becomes more and more obsessed with these conspiracy theories and ultimately starts to be paranoid and uh, you know at some point this just is very and I think for a long time we on the like we were wondering we were like is Lolly actually mentally ill or you know do we believe that maybe something is really happening here maybe you know maybe she's right Uh, and this kind of doubles down the fact that it's like nope she is schizophrenic there's no second option here um and kind of seeing her decline from when that starts to take over her life. And yeah, it is, it's really sad and it's sad to see her friends try to help her. And that doesn't always work. Well, and I think this is also something that's very hard to treat because yep. you have to have who's like the medications that are currently on offer for this sort of thing are not always the most effective. Mm-hmm. And you also have someone who's actively got voices in their head telling them not to take it. Yes. So this can be really, this can be a really challenging issue to, to deal with. And it's true that someone like Lolly, like, you know, we met her in several episodes before we had any clue there was anything really wrong with her. Right. And she seemed like, you know, she was, she was funny and she was personable and she could make connections with people. And then you know, to the point where you thought, you know, she was high functioning enough that she could have been hired by Kubra to kill Alex. And then all of a sudden you get hit with it all at once. Oh, no, mm-hmm. no, she's actually she has many issues that are probably going mostly untreated. Although it's also interesting that the way that they treat mental illness within the prison in that psych is the last place you ever want to go. Mm-hmm. Like they act like it's worse than Max. Right. And uh, yeah, that's scary. Like you would think that like these people would want psychiatric treatment uh, or at least a good chunk of them are, you know, in an incredibly stressful situation. And uh, if, you know, like at least like to be in some sort of like, you know, cognitive therapy could be uh, helpful. Um, So it's really a bummer that like psych is, you know, inaccessible and bad. Yeah, and it's always, it goes against the trope that you always hear about on crime shows where someone commits a terrible act and then they, and then they basically try to get absolved from it by going to psych. Right, exactly. Some sort of psych defense. And yeah, these women would prefer to not have that, like to be thought of as crazy in this world is dangerous. So we definitely have not gotten a real full 360 view on what going to psych means um so i hope that that kind of fleshes itself out at some point but i am interested in like why why it's so terrible and what 
what there is hurting these women. Yeah, and I, of course, it doesn't help that I just finished a book about um, about mental asylums in Yorkshire at the dawn of World War Two. No, World War One, actually. Oh my! Um, and they're not fun places. Yeah, I can't imagine that it ends super well for anybody. No, there's a lot of there's a lot of talk of eugenics. Ugh. Yeah. So that's that's kind of what I'm picturing. I'm picturing like Arkham Asylum when I'm picturing people being sent to this nebulous whatever psych is. But right, and you have the rare moment of like Sam Healy is actually helpful. Yeah. Sam Healy understands mental illness, which is wild, but that is his, that's the thing that he really sympathizes and with more than anything. Yeah, it seems like it's the one thing that like, if someone really is really, really bad off, ironically, he's much better at helping them than he is at helping someone who just has like a minor problem. Right. You would think the opposite would be true, but it isn't. Yeah, and particularly Lolly relates to him because his mother was more than likely schizophrenic. Um, and he kind of start. he really figures, he knows what it is like to have people talking to you in your head and how, you know, uh, I can't remember Lolly's exact quote that I felt like was really resonant. That was basically like, uh, she was like, I know they're not real, but I still have to listen to them or something like that. That I was like, Ooh, yeah. Like that's, that seems like a real, like, biting like nugget of what this must feel like and i think uh healy healy can get that yeah he gets to that place um i do want to i do want to talk about like here's here's a prison that is ruled by a bunch of new guards with new draconian policies who are conducting cavity searches and random stop and frisks in the halls and yet Piper gets a whole ream of printer paper to make her community carers flyers, and Lolly is somehow able to build an eight-foot-tall cardboard fort in the laundry room mm-hmm. that nobody knows is there. <laughs> Can we talk about that, please? Yes, I think, um, A, the white inmates are treated better by the white guards, and then B, the, uh, the storytelling ignores yeah i think it's some combination of those two things (laughs) so it's like they have a problem with looking at them wrong and yet there's a whole secret room in the prison now and when you really think about the broader implications of a whole secret room in the prison yeah huge huge and i mean they do take advantage of it so that's uh that makes sense but yeah i think I don't know. And I think especially with this kind of militaristic overhaul of the prison, you would think people would be a little more suspicious of things like that. But I'm guessing that uh, we need we need like uh, and we've talked about this before that uh, every episode is a bottle episode. So kind of need to even if it's a, you know, a tinier bottle inside the bottle, like creating (laughs) new locations is uh, good to move things forward. Right. And, you know, uh, the show itself is working on a limited budget, so you don't have a lot of money for new sets, so we'll just get a bunch of old cardboard boxes and tinfoil. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's uh, Netflix money. You know, as ironically as, like, even even more ironically, I think, Sam Healy actually being helpful, but really not being helpful because he doesn't quite understand that this giant delusional story she told him about Killing a guy and chopping him up and burying him in the garden is something that actually happened. It is real, yep. And uh, that is unfortunate, but uh, work it works out <laughs> well for people. And 
yeah, I mean, this couldn't have worked out better for Alex and Red and uh, Frida and all the people that were uh, implicitly involved in this murder because uh, they were couldn't have been more panicked that Lolly was going to tell. And even when she did, they just didn't believe her. So uh, kind of a, ni- a nice uh, denouement to that. <laughs> but uh, it ultimately uh, doesn't reflect super well on Healy. This is the thing about Healy, and we've we've compared and contrasted him with Caputo a lot, but right. anytime Healy does something that makes us like him a little bit more, then we kind of have some uncomfortable realization about him that makes us like him a whole lot less. Totally. That's that's kind of where we're at with him in this episode. Right. So speaking of Caputo, yes. he's got a new project, and you know, Linda for purchasing really lights a fire under the guy, but this is our first glimpse that like maybe you know, as they can go and enjoy a trade show, that's one thing. But mm-hmm. spinning, like, she can spin anything and make it sound like a great idea. Totally. Yeah, it seems very clear. Like, Caputo's just trying his best, and uh, he wants to more or less initiate, like, college classes in the prison. Uh, kind of liberal arts, things that, like, would be enjoyable to them. And this is uh, obviously an expensive endeavor. And Linda says, yeah, like, what a, you know, she's such a mind fucker. Like, she's like, yeah, 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 great idea, great idea. You know what would make it a little bit more appealing to them if you just made it a little more practical. And ultimately, uh, she uh, keeps, she makes so many small changes to his education initiative that uh, it's ultimate, it becomes a uh, chain gang. Yeah, yeah, that, uh, free labor and uh, vocational courses that are ultimately them doing work in the prison that they don't have to pay them for. Yeah. Which is incredibly horrifying. Yeah. And I want to say, like, this is a little, I want like, has there been a similar plot line to this on the show before? I can't really like, or maybe I'm just thinking of like something else, but I feel uh, like I was kind of like, are, didn't like, well, they did this in Shawshank Redemption. Maybe that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> uh, I guess like maybe thinking that like they, you know, they're always working. So like, it's just, you know, creating like in theory more jobs, but um, yeah, that's probably what I'm thinking of. Uh, so they, you could also be thinking of whispers. Well, yeah, yeah, I guess that's one thing you have is like that they, um, they're, you know, they're always trying to find ways to put these girls to work for not and not pay them for it or pay them very little. Right. And this is kind of already the prison system of getting paid 11 cents an hour to to do like pretty menial tasks. Yeah. It's already pretty demeaning. Yes. But now it's like we're going to pretend we're teaching you how to do something. Right. And uh, really, really shitty. So ultimately, I guess Caputo is unhappy with how things uh work out but uh but at least he's getting laid yep he's getting laid he has a his hot girlfriend and uh doesn't in uh seems even though upset still complicit there's really no way for him to get around this yeah like he can't he can't counteract it in any way and it's really kind of amazing what a corner he's painted himself into at this point yeah uh, he uh, uh, just don't know what his choices really remain to be like uh, does he he's a he's a corporate guy like he is not he can care as much about these women as he wants but at the end of the day he keeps his job by spending as little money as possible and that's what he's going to do I guess moving on to Judy King yeah who I think this is one of the 
more entertaining moments of the of the series in a very dark humor sort of way. Totally. And they really nailed, like you said, the Paula Dean thing pretty early on. And this is like, they really double down on that here. Like this is a, it's basically like if they said like, wouldn't it be funnier if Martha Stewart was Paula Dean? <laughs> and uh, they, uh, they nail it. And we do find out a little more about Judy King's uh, problematic past. Right. And you can see where, She's, you know, she's probably feeling pretty good about being in prison right now. Yeah. <laughs> because she doesn't really have to confront this. Yeah, I I kind of like um, some of this, this show and especially this season of the show really talks about race in a very interesting way that you don't see on television, like maybe ever, because it's like, okay, here is explicit racism. Here is preferential tweet, preferential, oh, here is preferential treatment for, you know, for white people over people of color. Here's, you know, guards that are absolutely, you know, straight up racist. Like, and then there's like the entire spectrum all the way down to like kind of more subtle things that, you know, in the first couple episodes when they were like, Judy King has said something kind of indicative that she might be racist and figuring it out. And I like that they hit every single note in between those in between those things. So uh, seeing something like, OK, uh, Judy King had a, a, a television show that had very uh like stereotypical minstrel show type characters on it. And then she can just kind of be like, eh, it was the eighties. Things were different. And it's like, uh, it, it was still, it's still very racist, <laughs> but like, what does that mean? Like in the context of everything. And I really like that approach because I think it's, it's a lot of how I think about like, uh, you know, about racism. And I think how a lot of people in kind of, you know, 2016, internet culture think about racism that is like there's more than one way to be racist and that's what this show has really brought to light yeah it's it's true and there's all kinds of people that don't think of themselves as racist that then go on to do some very very racist things yes a really amazing thing that it's like you need not be a skinhead to be a racist but sometimes those things go together and sometimes like even just refusing to disavow something is about as bad as doing it yourself. Yes, exactly. Uh, so, uh, really, and Suzanne's reaction to this show was like, I... <laughs> I do not like this I don't, show. I, I don't like this. <laughs> and that's kind of, it's one of those things, it's like, yeah, you might not be able to articulate exactly why this is bad, but, oh, you know it's bad. Right. You kind of, you kind of know it when you see it. Yes. And, um, you know what else was bad was Judy King's wig in this, st- in this segment. Oh, yes. It was the 80s. But, you know, even it made Sam Healy look like a adequate representation of his era in his flashback. True, true. Yeah, and you have a lot of people that they're being forced to examine some behaviors that they may not have had to examine otherwise. And that in turn makes the viewer kind of think about, well, I've had thoughts that are similar to that or, you know, I've not I've not stepped up to condemn behavior that is like that. And maybe I shouldn't have done that. So I think. They do a really, it's a really nuanced job. They do. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And I think this is a little bit contrasted with we get Piper uh, kind of ramping up this Nazi gang. <laughs> right. And like Piper not even really, not even ramping it up herself, but going along with it. Like really sort of doing very little to stop it. And you get to this point at the end where 
you know this is coming. You know it's not going to be good. Yep. And it's like, this is what happens. This is why you don't hang out with Nazis. Yeah, this is a great argument for that. I mean, apart from the fact that everything they stand for is bad and wrong. <laughs> yeah. Here's what else will happen if you hang out with Nazis. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, so we have, uh, um, we have, uh, it kind of becomes clear that like some, like there's a bit of a line drawn in the Nazi gang that we, we have the skinheads. And then we have the people, uh, then we have kind of the bandwagon skinheads, which are Leanne and Andrew. And then we have uh, Piper and Morello and maybe someone else who uh, are just kind of like, ooh, what did we do? <laughs> um, and uh, <laughs> kind of uh, trying to figure out exactly uh, what's going on here. And uh, I, the non-racist white people, Red and a couple of the other people. Or the, you know, the less racist less, white people. Less racist. I don't think anybody's ever at zero when it comes to racism on the show or in life. That's probably true. And, uh, but a lot of these people know when to, uh, and this probably isn't the first time they've had to step away from Piper. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and kind of just be like, you are not someone we want to associate with. But, uh, Piper is kind of, uh, put herself in a very, uh, very precarious position. Right. And it, it, it does eventually come to a head where she, she has her bunkmate, whom we've seen before, um, has told her, you know, the, this skinhead thing, not a good look. Also, I'm not white, in case you haven't noticed. And, and Piper is super condescending and awful to her because Piper's like pretending she's the godfather again. Yep. And this backfires spectacularly because her roommate sells her out to the Dominicans. Totally. Um, and uh, so uh, we have uh, Nikki's uh, return party happening in this episode, which kind of serves as like a uh, centerpiece of things going on. But uh, Piper gets pulled away from the party and into the kitchen from with the Dominicans. And uh, this is... Uh, of a handful of moments in the show that I had to close my eyes during. <laughs> yeah, like the sound effects are bad enough. Yep. You almost need to close your eyes and mute it. Yeah, I was so thrown. Uh, so they take, I guess, you know, a piece of metal from the kitchen and burn a swastika into Piper's arm. Um, and, you know, kind of uh, juxtapose that with like her giving herself that tattoo at the end of the previous season. Uh, it's, it's a little different. <laughs> it is, uh, you know, not this, uh, not the badass symbol that she was going for, uh, with her white ink tattoo, but it is, uh, uh not only, you know, a, a horrible symbol, but having it seared into your arm in a kitchen seems like, um, maybe the most painful, uh, thing that I won't say it was painful to watch. <laughs> I felt pain watching it. Right. And, you know, credit to credit due to Taylor Schilling, who I don't always consider the best actress on this show, but she definitely sold it. Oh, yeah. I, I believed it. And I was a throne. <laughs> yeah. Um, and again, you know, whenever it's convenient, the guards are around doing guard things and like, you know, heaven forbid you have a lipstick that you're not supposed to have. Yep. But you can have five people pull another inmate into the kitchen, turn the stove on, and burn a swastika into her arm and nobody says anything. Yep. I guess that's just how it has to be sometimes. But, uh... I, I uh, guess. I will live in fear of that ever happening to me. Yeah, and I think Piper got off easy if you... If we're being honest here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, and the fact that they were kind of like, that's enough. Like, 
that that blew my mind. I'm like, I thought they were going to kill her, <laughs> like, or they were going to make her life hell. Um, and I mean, they or they, they were going to put it on her forehead, right? Yeah, they uh, things could have been so much worse for Piper. She and like, uh, and I know that this is not good, but this is not not the worst thing that could happen. Considering, considering, like Maria did get extra time added to her sentence, like that's pretty. That is terrible. It's pretty bad, but also like another indication of like Piper's. Even with Piper having less to do, even with Piper being annoying like she's still sort of the leading lady of this show and they're not gonna fuck up her life too bad no although i could see it happening i think we we've discussed this last season a lot we're at a point where we don't need piper right like they've given her something new to do this season that i think is very illuminating and interesting and i'm not cringing every time i see her on screen anymore Mm -hmm. i mean sometimes she makes me cringe but more in a deliberate and better way right but we're reaching the point where piper has outlived her use usefulness as the person that brings us into this world like we're in this right we got plenty of people we sympathize with on a much deeper level they could certainly take her out in some fashion like whether it's by releasing her sending her to max uh, putting her in psych or killing her I think they could and I think the show would be fine if they did but I don't know if they will because I and like and I think this is kind of the indication of that is like if this was a character that people cared less about, like something worse would have already happened. And kind of in you know subsequent episodes, Piper isn't really crucial. Kind of like what you know if this was so so if this was you know uh, I don't know if this was Neanne or Angie or someone like that. What like what would stop them from already doing this? And I think having Piper around, and I even with all the negative that comes with her, I think there are still people that are invested in her growth. And I think also, like from a more practical standpoint, I think Piper Kerman is like an executive producer on the show. So I wouldn't. Uh, I I totally agree with you that it, is she necessary? No. Do I care all that much about her? No. Do I think she's going to go away anytime soon? I really don't. And I don't know if what we need to be seeing right now is like an arc for her. But I also like I wouldn't mind it either. Like in an arc that kind of is not like a like an anti-hero isn't the right word, but more of like a like a Hannah from Girls kind of thing. That's like, oh, I'm the leading character, but I'm unlikable. Like I want i don't know if it's we need that either i'm like it might be nice to just wrap up piper storyline in like a positive way and like kind of either let her and let her just like be part of the hijinks i don't know yeah i've I've liked her more like i think she spent a great deal of time i think maybe the back half season two and the first half season three you mostly had her around making dry comments about what other people were doing right And I minded her a lot less when we were at that point. Right. I think we could certainly have her take a step back in that regard. And, you know, she can still be around. She can just be off doing other things that are uninteresting that we don't have to watch. Right. I think for as long as, like, Taylor Schilling does not get a DUI, Mm -hmm. she'll probably always have a place on the show. Totally. But she's not, she could be less necessary, I think. Yeah. It's not it's not an all or nothing thing. Right. And I think uh this was the right storyline for her at this point for sure. 
um, because it just kind of shows like how it's like just this perfect yeah amalgamation of every tone deaf thing she's ever done. Uh, so I did. I think it makes a lot of sense. But it's like I I kind of think maybe we'll see like in every other. I think we'll see a lot of every other season for a lot of these characters, and I think Piper will probably be one of them. Yeah, it's true. It's like this season. You know, we gave Natasha Leone about a season off by taking her out and putting her in Max for for a good chunk of time, and now she's back. And Laverne Cox, apparently this is her season off. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's okay. Like, we'll give Piper a story this time, and I think it, I think she's still valuable as far as, like, showing class privilege, especially. Totally. Because, you know, she went through life making, like, little gaffes and having people laugh them off, and now she's in prison, and everything she does kind of blows up in her face. Exactly. And I think that's that's also valuable. I think that's a better way to use her than we've seen her used in the past. Right. Yeah. And I agree. And I think, yeah, use if you're going to use her, use her in a way that makes sense. And then if not, like we have tons of other people that have st- that we can give stuff to do. I mean, so many people on the show are criminally underused because we have a million great people on the show. Like everybody is that good. Right, exactly. So, with that in mind, like, are we ready to close the book on episode seven? Let's see. Yeah, I think that those were the real big, the big things. Everything hit on. We still get a little bit of like uh, glimpses of the other characters, but there. Uh, oh, uh, did we get some uh, resolve to the shower pooping in this season? Yes, we did. We yep. got the shower pooping resolution, but yep. you know. Have Not we talked about poop enough? Yep, that's probably fair. <laughs> Not that interesting. I mean, that's it's classic Nikki that she knows exactly what happened. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so uh, that's how they. Tra- I guess I answered my own question from earlier. A lot of them, they transport drugs to the prison through poop. It's one way. That's one one of many. So yeah, um, basically, we are on a road to see what happens, how Piper resolves this. Um, Nazi thing, but this um, these three episodes kind of introduce a lot of stuff and tie a lot of stuff up, even if it's not necessarily, like, beautiful. You know, it's good to go down these dark roads, I think, with people and, you know, we've talked about it over and over, just when we think the show has gotten as bleak as it's going to get, it gets bleaker, but it somehow still kind of retains its heart. Yeah, for sure. And, yeah, it's the fact that I can, you know, we're three and a half seasons in, and I'm still, like, Closing my eyes because stuff is so brutal and it's more brutal than it's ever been is a testament. So we want to just give a shout out to everyone that's sending us tweets and giving us iTunes reviews and Mm -hmm. leaving comments. Um, Very happy to hear from you guys. Um, Love to hear your thoughts on the show. Did you have a question from Antonio? I did have a question from Antonio from episode six, actually. (laughs) That would have been useful. That would have been useful 45 minutes ago. <laughs> I just remembered. I just remembered as well. Um, we had a few days where we were having trouble scheduling time to record. So, but, um, right. We haven't talked about this at all. Oh. So I guess it's good to kind of go back and speak to this a little bit because we haven't really talked about what Red is doing. Oh, yes. Right. Uh, but he says, I just wonder what you guys think about Red sleeping in this episode. Episode six, but I guess also we see glimpses of it in episodes five and seven as well. Thought it was interesting in light of their bond that Nichols heading towards using again was seemingly happening while Red is sleepy. 
What are your thoughts about what's up with the sleep just for laughs or something more going on there? Yeah, I don't have a good answer for that because it has thrown me a little too. The snoring thing seemed like a total non sequitur and that she then falls asleep and is snoring. And I think it like it might just be like red is kind of like an old curmudgeon lady. <laughs> and uh <laughs> She is not, she's not putting up with bullshit from these kids. (laughs) Like she has her family and she cares about Nikki and uh, that's it. But I don't, I don't know. Did you see any more nuance in this storyline? I didn't until he pointed it out, honestly. Like I thought this is kind of a misuse of Red. I feel like she hasn't really gotten a great story arc this season. Like especially after the kind of amazing things we've done with her in previous episodes. Especially after, you know, her connection with Healy and the way that played out. And this season, the worst thing that's happening to her is that she is getting, she can't get any sleep because her roommate snores. Right. It's surprising uh, because everyone loves Red. Everyone loves Kate Mulgrew so much. So again, like maybe they're giving her some time off and they don't want to completely, you know, Sophia her and be like, all right, you're not going to be in 10 of the 13 episodes. But we have way too much heavy stuff going on right now. And we're just going to give you this tiny thing to do. So I'm not sure how much I read into it at this point, but it's nice that they kind of did figure out some way to bring it back to relevance. Totally. And this is a huge one that if people have thoughts or theories on, I want to hear them. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And we would love to hear your thoughts and theories on pretty much anything. Yeah. So there's lots of ways you can do that. Um, The first and probably most easiest thing, most easiest, uh, is to go on to postshowrecaps.com, find the episode page, leave us a comment there. Uh, That's usually, that gives you the most room to say what you're thinking about any specific point related to the episode. And we read those and we deeply appreciate them. Um, Even the ones where the guy's like, I don't watch this show because it's terrible. Thanks, Guy. We appreciate your input. (laughs) Um, We also love iTunes reviews. That helps boost our profile in the iTunes store. And when we started this out, Taylor and I were pretty much the only game in town as far as Orange is the New Black podcasts are concerned. And that is... That's crazy. (laughs) Yeah, that is no longer the truth by a long shot. So as much as you guys can do things that boost our profile in the iTunes universe, that really helps the show out and kind of gives us a little bit more of a good profile, um, which brings in more listeners, which brings in more community. And it's all, you know, it's all a big circle. Yes. And of course, you can always tweet at us. Um, You can tweet at me at Haymaker Hattie. And me at Taylor Cotter. And we love hearing from you there. Um, that's always a lot of fun as well. So we love any kind of engagement really with any of you guys. And I also wanted to give a shout out to anybody who's interested in the expanded universe of post-show recaps and Rob has a podcast coverage. There's a lot of great stuff happening this summer. Um, many shows getting covered. We just wrapped up Game of Thrones and we're getting ready for all kinds of new things coming up. Mr. Robot season two is about to start and Josh and Antonio have done an amazing rewatch on that. If you guys are at all interested in that show, their coverage is very, very funny. And as the new season starts up, you're definitely not going to want to miss that. Um, we appreciate any kind of support you guys give in the form of clicking through to Amazon or in becoming a Rob has a podcast patron, which gives you exclusive access to a lot of content you wouldn't otherwise get. And we do appreciate the support there. Um, so I guess with all of that, 
Taylor, if you have nothing else, we can probably let these kind people go and finish their binge watch. Yes, please do. And uh, looking forward to talking about the next three episodes very soon. Yes. And if you want to tweet at us, let you, let us know you got all the way through. You can tweet at us with the hashtag Caputo Apologist. <laughs> and we, we love hearing from you. So keep up the good interactions and we will be back very, very soon for episodes eight through ten. Thanks all for listening. We'll see you next time. All right. Thanks, guys. Side boob rules. <laughs>